You are listening to The Mallory Report, a live radio show that ventures into the mysteries of life, as well as the hot topics of the day, either political or business. Welcome, everybody, to this evening's Mallory Report. Last um, episode in October, so first and foremost, happy Halloween. Uh, as me and our guests were just joking about, I think we're going to be out of candy before Halloween gets here, so it may be canceled, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, next week, oh boy, is this the eighth or ninth annual prediction show? Yikes. I should have looked that up, but... I'll have it for next week. Either way, we've been doing this. Has been the longest standing tradition around here. Predictions for 2022. Oh my good grief! Time keeps on slipping. Sli- oh, I better not, because I'll probably get a copyright infringement for that. But anyways, you know the rest of that song. And now that that song's stuck in your head, we're going to talk to Jesse Peak, uh, Mufon Field Investigator, uh, host of the UFO Encounters podcast, and uh, all sorts of other fun. We're going to probably get into tonight. Jesse, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Jim. Thanks for having me on tonight, man. I appreciate it. Now, it's the UFOs Worldwide Podcast. Yeah, my Germantown writer just popped up in the chat room for me, the full name of your show, before I got it out of my mouth. <laughs> and apparently, my note-taking is wonderful. So That's all good. <laughs> so, so, we share two things in common. Let's start with the easy stuff. We're both right. We're both from Pennsylvania. Yes. And we're both Eagle Scouts. Yeah, how about that? So, well, that was fun. Let's, um, <laughs> I guess that's all everybody needs to know. We can just go home now. Um, and then, of course, you went on to be in the National Guard, and I thank you for that. So, thank you. Okay, so let, let's get down to the, the brass tacks. What got you into UFO research, though? Um, I guess it's just from, uh, you know, always when I was younger, I mean, even in Boy Scouts, you know, we had merit badges and different stuff like that. Um, taking like space exploration and environmental science and, and just, you know, looking up in the sky and just always wondering, you know, is there a possibility of other life out there somewhere? Um, you know, it came across my mind multiple times, but I never knew about, you know, the UFO community and, and how big it was. And there was different community, uh, organizations you could join and get involved. Um, so when I was watching TV one day, um, probably about five, six years ago, well, I was already into it at that time, but so I'd say about a decade ago is really when I like started to see little things and get interested in it. But about six years ago, five years ago, um, I started watching ancient aliens and, uh, other, other big TVs like in search of back in the day was a good one. Um, the original one. And um, I started finding all these communities that you can go and join, like Twitter and Facebook and then different groups on Facebook. Um, and then I found MUFON. And uh, that intrigued me immediately because it was some, something I could uh, join and actually get involved in, like in the Boy Scouts, you know. Um, and being a field investigator, of course, I was in the military. I was in the Boy Scouts. You know, it's right up my alley. Um, so of course I joined right away I actually joined in 2019. So it was a little later. I did all my research prior to that, getting to know the UFO history. Um, and then joined in 2019 and then in 2020 got my field investigator certification and all the, um, all the other, uh, odds and ends figured out to finally become a full-time investigator. And, uh, that's pretty much how it got to this point where I'm at today, um, and then I started up my podcast at the beginning of this year because um, the pandemic was going on. No one's really going out anymore. So I figured more people would be interested in hearing different stuff about the UFO phenomenon. Um, and it's been going great. Uh, great guest. I have a website for it. You can go on there and you can learn new stuff every week. I do new weekly posts about the UFO field. Um, you can learn history over there, megalithic structures, um, all kinds of good stuff. And then recently I just started my own project that I'm the director of. It's called Project Bat Tech 404. Um, it's for uh, electrical malfunctions associated with UFO sightings. And that's what we're investigating to find out what technology gets affected the most, how it gets affected. And uh, just hearing all these different reports from people, it's pretty interesting. So that's basically the gist of it all. <laughs> yeah, there's we'll get unpacked through all of that. But uh you mentioned the podcast. We've danced around. It's, I'm sure it's on speaker and podcast or yeah, mm-hmm. Spotify. But what's the website? Uh, the website's UFO Encounters Worldwide dot WordPress dot com. 
So it's the same thing as the podcast name. It's just dot wordpress.com. So I don't know. I feel like I want to go two directions at once and this isn't going to end well for me. Um, <laughs> and I know I have time, but I, I okay, let's, let's, let's talk about the MUFON thing for a minute. Um, All right. 2019, I mean, there has been some, how do I say this nicely, politically correct, drama with MUFON at the national level. It's been kind of going around for a while now. Right. You were researching and all this other stuff, but you still decided to join? How, how did you come across and go weigh that out and sort that all yeah, out? Yeah, so MUFON is a, it's a, it's a worldwide organization. Um, it doesn't, it's not secluded to any one state or any one country. Um, so I didn't know there was uh, some problems back in like, I, I forget when, in the 80s and 90s and stuff was going on. Um, there were some issues back then, but I, uh, they, they had gotten fixed. Uh, they had gotten rid of some of the people that were not really good for MUFON. And then um, I think in 2019 or 2020, uh, the director wound up getting in trouble and we had to remove him as well. But um, ever since then, everything has been really smooth. But in 2019, when I joined, um, I met my community here in Pennsylvania, MUFON. Um, and I started meeting some of the people here, getting to know them. And I mean, the group of people in PA and MUFON are like awesome. <laughs> I don't know any other way to explain it. Um, really supportive people, um, go out of their, go out of their way to help you. Um, and some of these people are, are astronomy, uh, teachers and scientists. And I mean, I can email them and it's drop of the hat. They'll come and help me. And this was even before I was. Uh, investigator, you know what I mean? So that, that intrigued me. Um, and so I said, you know what? Well, if I'm going to be a part of MUFON, I'm a part of this group and that's who I'm going to be working with. So I'm happy with that. And it's actually brought me a lot of success in my life. Um, it's benefited greatly. Um, and I have no complaints, honestly, about ever since joining. Um, it's just been my experience and my personal experience alone. Um, I mean, I, I hear other people do have uh, issues with it, but, um, not me. <laughs> it's been actually excellent, really. <laughs> and I also want to also mention that while there has been these big black eyes, they've evolved around people, not the organization as a whole. Correct. That's Which, the thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because sometimes you get an organization that has widespread problems, and that hasn't always been the case with MUFON. It's always been certain individuals. So I'm glad to hear that your experience is going well. I mean, they have some. I mean,. There are some people out there who are not fans, and I understand it. And I understand people like you who have a good experience, right? So, okay. So now the I know I used to know this. Now you're going to have to help me out here. the The field investigator thing is not something you just magically turn yourself into. You have a there's a course and a, a test, right? Yes, it's a pretty extensive uh, course. Um, I didn't know it was as extensive as it was until I did it. <laughs> um, you have to first, you have to uh, purchase the field ma uh, manual, field manual, which gives you all your training, um, how to interview witnesses, how to take sample collections, um, how to do boots on the ground interviews, um, you know, where to send the samples, how to contain the samples, all everything. I mean, everything you need to know to be a private investigator is in that book. Um, you buy that book, that comes with your exam, which is a 100-question exam. Uh, it took me three and a half hours to complete that exam. It's extremely hard. Um, it's, I mean, it's an open book test, too, so you would think, oh, well, if I don't know anything, I can just look it up on the computer and Google it. No, it's not like that. The answers do not come up in Google, so good luck trying to do it that way. I mean, you, you might find it, but you have to read through a couple pages of stuff just to get one answer. Um so once you get past that, you have to pass that with an 80 or higher. Anything below that is a fail. Um, and if you fail, you get three chances to take it. After that, if you fail that many times again, you got to wait six months. Um, so I passed that with a 91. Um, and then I had to get uh, take three one-hour courses with the chief field investigator. Um, and during those three weeks, you have to take four separate certification classes, um, one in Astronomy 101, Astronomy 202, Space Exploration 101, and um, Investigations in the Case Dispositions. Um, so after you do all of that, <laughs> you become a field investigator trainee. Um, and then you got to work with your usually your state section director for your first couple of cases. And then after that, you're on your own. So uh, you also mentioned doing some research just in general. So let, let's pull it back to that for a minute because I think then we'll play it forward. How active is... 
Pennsylvania because I, you know, I've talked about this stuff for years, but normally I'm talking to somebody from anywhere Upstate. else, anywhere else in the country, it seems besides Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this was another reason I got involved with Pennsylvania. Well, well, of course it could be Pennsylvania, but I got involved because Pennsylvania is actually the top seven in UFO sightings just about every month. It switches between seven and eight. Um, and it's, it's all time. It's seven total. So we're actually a hotspot of a state. Um, we're, we're in the top 10 every month. And MUFON puts out a journal every month that I receive in the mail. And they give you all the statistics of how many sightings, what kind of shapes they were. And we're always in there. Um, and I actually wound up writing a, a – I got a published through MUFON a paper on it about all the big sightings that have happened here. You don't really realize how much is going on. Um, but, I mean, the big states are California and Texas. They're number one and two. But uh, to be in the top 10 every month, there's obviously something, you know, something going on here. So how many cases have you investigated with MUFON then? Uh, with MUFON, I would say about a dozen, a dozen or so, fully investigated. I mean, I don't, I'm not the type of guy that gets a report and, um, you know, within a week it's done. I take my time with every case. I mean, I, I look up every, like, even if I think that I know what the answer is to the case, I still give it the benefit of the doubt and I keep, I stay open-minded when I do it. And I work through all the ins and outs of a case until it gives me that dead end, that absolute no, that this is what it is. That's when I finish my report. So, um, and I mean, I've been pretty steady with cases doing, doing through MUFON and with the project I'm doing too. So I've been pretty busy. <laughs> I was going to say, you've got to be busy. Now the project has my eyes. So let's talk, well, since you brought it up, up again. Like I said, okay. we're gonna we're gonna be bouncing back and forth, and yeah, that's it's, fine. It's, me, it's 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 fun. Um, for the listeners, it's fun. For me, it's great because I it's just my randomness. I don't have to deal with my train of thought. I, I um, hear you. <laughs> <laughs> UFO, uh, electric electronic disturbances around UFO sightings. So obviously, I understand the, the concept because I'm I know they happen. I've heard enough about them happening. But right, tell me what you're doing with this. So the, the project's called Bat Tech 404, and that stands for Battery Technology, and 404 is a common error code that you get with any kind of technology, a cell phone, whatever, what have you. Um, and our main goal is to investigate electrical malfunctions associated with UFO encounters or sightings. Um, so basically, if you're having a UFO sighting and, say, Benny and Barney Hill, for example, their car stalled. Um, and then after the, they were abducted and put back in their car, their car was running again. Um, you have uh, people with cell phones sometimes or their radios, their signals will get lost and their radios and their cell phones won't work. Um, it actually happened to me one time, which is which is where this project came from. Um, I had a brand new cell phone, was trying to uh, film some thing, objects in the sky. It was. I just had it for two weeks. Um, I tried to bring the phone out. It will not allow me to unlock the phone or take a picture or a video whatsoever. Right as these objects start disappearing, my phone clicks on and starts working. Um, so that was odd to me. And then I started looking into the different cases that have happened uh, that are similar to that. And I couldn't believe how many cases I'm finding. And in different ways. I mean, uh, Robert Salas just had the National Press Club about two or three or maybe five days ago um, talking about these UFOs shutting down nuclear missile sites at Maelstrom Air Force Base and Minute Air Force Base. And him and three other officers that ran those bases and were the controllers watched this happen and actually uh, physically saw these UFOs over the base. Um, so it's not just the little stuff, it's the big stuff too. Um, I, I'm, I've been getting a lot of reports of airliners coming in. Um, there's the, the one case back, uh, Leonard Stringfield's case when he was flying in a C-46 cargo plane, um, over, over Japan in World War II. It was three days before the end of the war and a UFO came on the side of their plane. And uh, the engine started having failure. It was smoking. I mean, and the pilots were diving in the plane saying, we're about to dive, dive, dive. That means they have to jump out of the plane. Well, when these UFOs took off, the engine kicked back on and, and it was fine. They landed safely. Um, but I'm getting other cases like this, too, where they're not showing up on radar. Um, the plane and the the same point in time at while while they're in, in the same vicinity as each other and then all of a sudden the ufo and the plane will disappear off a radar together um and then once the ufo disappears 
the plane comes back on radar and the UFO's gone. So, I mean, the cases are really extensive, they're crazy, and they're really interesting. So what we plan to do is we have a website and an email where you can actually report your case to. If you have uh, one personally, you can report it to the email. One of our team members um, that I have on the team will contact you, whoever's closest in your area, just kind of like how MUFON does it. Um, and we'll report, we'll take all the information and log it. And we plan to give statistics on all the different uh, technology systems that are affected. Plus, we're going to write a report on it to give uh, the public all the, the findings that we find out during this project. So I've long wondered why we don't have more pictures of said any any paranormal phenomenon, UFOs, Bigfoot. Well, those are two of the more obvious ones. Ghosts are kind of a whole different direction. Right. So we're just going to leave them out of this discussion. Don't hate me, people. Well, you're going to hate me anyways. Um, <laughs> but obviously, if Bigfoot and, and UFOs and aliens, there is a non-transparent something there, in theory. And right. I, I've often wondered if that's what... Because everybody's got a camera now, right? Absolutely, yeah. And the number, the volume of pictures has not increased by any margin on, at this point, which baffles me. Why? Yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've been trying to look into that. Um, we, we talked about that earlier when I put the team together and uh, talking about, you know, about the camera situation and cases from back in the day compared to now. Because um, at first, when we first did this project, we talked about, you know, comparing the technology because it's so different from the 90s to now compared to before the 90s, you know. And we talked about that camera issue and how it's never really gotten better. Um, so we, the conclusion we came to is that there's possibly something that, I, I mean, obviously UFOs are way beyond our technology and way advanced. Um, so they might possibly have some kind of technology that allows our cameras to blur their photos out when we take pictures of them. Um, so that was the best kind of conclusion that we can come up with because, I mean, even now you have the best kind of camera, which is an iPhone, um, that they're making movies with now. You can see the commercials for on TV, um, and those can't even get a clear picture for us. So the bottom line is that there must be some kind of technology they're using that allows the, the camera to blur their photo out. Yeah, I had to laugh. My wife's got a, not an, even a new one, the last generation, I guess it is now. I found, still good. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's funny because 10 years ago, I bought a camera that had that same amount of zoom and I paid like 300 bucks for it. Now it's just inner pocket all the time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, back in the day, I had to drag this bag around and charge batteries and, you know, now it's like, oh yeah, yep. it's right there. But, Absolutely. <laughs> Blows That's my... why I seen that picture the other day. Uh, I think it was yesterday. And the guy in the picture, he has like, you know, the big boom box and all the big computers and stuff. And they said, everything in this picture is now in your pocket. <laughs> it was like, ah, okay. Yeah, that's insane. Like, like that meme, your, your 90s teacher, you'll, ne you'll never have a calculator when you need one. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, so... I'm assuming well, this is going to get me in trouble. I, I know you're from the eastern part of the state, so that makes you an Eagles Flyers. Well, Phillies I'm fan. not really, I'm not really a, uh, a hockey guy. Uh, more of a football guy. Uh, Phillies, I do watch the Phillies with my dad, um, but more football than anything. I think you just lost some people when you said didn't watch hockey because some of my audience is Canadian. <laughs> just, just probably just went click. I've tried to. When I was younger, I watched it, um, but I've just grown more into football over time. Um, Eric Lindros was my big guy flyer from back in the day. That was my favorite player. So I did like it at one point. It's not that I dislike it. You know what I mean? It's just where I've kind of zoomed to. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I And and, <laughs> and the other part of it is there's less football games, right? Like baseball yeah. and hockey, there's just too much. It, I'll say it. There's too much. But okay. Yeah. Anyways, not, not to get totally down that rabbit hole but just <laughs> told you my mind's kind of scattered tonight that's okay um so it made you, okay so you're, you're out there you said because of the pandemic you're not going out as much but i mean now would be it seems to me it'd be the time right to be out looking up or uh, like, yeah absolutely at I least mean, it was when there was less people traveling of course we're starting to ramp that back up but right well see that's another thing too though even though the pandemic happened um 
when it did, um, people were off of work and they were home, so they were out front of their houses and they were looking up. And our case, our caseloads jumped. We had a big jump in caseloads. I mean, worldwide. Um, people were reporting to MUFON. They were watching TV, so they were learning about UFOs, and they were finding out where they could report them to. Um, and now recently that people, I mean, literally in the past month, month, month and a half, the, the sightings have stopped. Um, we're at an all-time low right now. Uh, we just had a, a meeting a week or two ago um, talking about this, how crazy it went from being overwhelming to not even having that many now. Um, and we compared it to years prior and we're actually below the, those years. So it's, it's weird. Everyone's like either going back to work and not looking up anymore, or we don't, we don't, we don't exactly know. <laughs> that is, that's an odd phenomenon because I mean, yeah, it's, it's started to get colder here, but it's not there yet. I think I'd be, you'd be seeing that in November, December, right. January. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. It is. I, I, I'm trying to figure weird. out why that would be. Unless, yeah. people, unless people just started looking at football stuff, and they're right. Was. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> that they're they're more or less not looking up as much anymore now, and they're back to doing what they got to do every day, so they don't think about it as much. You know. There it is. There's your answer. Football season. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bad. That's bad. Uh, I'm having to... a bad football season. I am a Miami Dolphins fan, and uh, they're not doing too good. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm sorry. Uh, Jeremy Tide Runner pops up here. He wants me to ask you about the... I'll read the question. I normally try to paraphrase these, but he's done an excellent job with this one, so I'll give him yep, credit. And read it here. Pennsylvania has 14 nuclear power plants, three of which have been decommissioned, and one that was damaged and had its core removed but is not officially decommissioned yet. Do you see an outsized number of reports involving these plants? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um We've noticed that since it's the same with the the missile silos, the nuclear missile silos and our nuclear submarines. Um, I don't know if anybody's heard about the recent uh, nuclear sub that had a, a, a crash. It hit something while it was under the water. They believe it was some kind of USO, un, uh, unidentified submergible object. Uh, even over the missile silos, uh, different nuclear power plants like he's talking about, anything nuclear, um, these UFOs definitely are interested in. Um, we've seen them come in swarms. We've seen them come singly. We've seen them shine beams down onto these plants into nuclear bases. Um, this is like one of, it's very well documented in this phenomenon, uh, that they like that and they're attracted to it. So yes. Is that the, uh, this is going to sound like an idiot question, but is that like the most hot spot? Like if you're going to throw out, because I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like when people talk about paranormal activity, like ghosts and stuff, it's prisons and, and hotels, right? Those right. are like the top of the list. Are those type of sites the most for UFOs? I, I would think so. I, uh, people say that they can go and they can set a camera up there and, and within a couple of days, they, they usually see something. I've heard that. Um, so I would, I would have to say that's the most likely spot you're going to see a UFO. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's I mean, uh, it's interesting to think about. I mean, because I have, I mean, it's weird to us to think about, you know, having these, well, in some cases, actual bombs, in other cases, well, the potential to be and very hazardous sitting around. And they're interested in it. Right. And I think that they're more concerned about the planet, you know, and what we're doing to it than anything. So I hate to get into this question because, well, but I'm going here. Um, so you, you've, you say you investigate a fair number of cases. How many do you just know gut feeling tells you that the person's out to lunch? They're just looking for attention or they didn't see what they thought they saw or just, you know. Straight, you know, well, I guess I'm a ghost hunter, so I know there's people out there who are just hoaxing. Uh, yeah, trying, trying, yeah. trying to get the, in front of a ghost hunter so I can say, "Hey, the so, TV crew needs to come here." <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, Mufon in their handbook and in their in our training, um, they teach us different ways to read people, uh, not leading the witness when we're talking to them. Different signs that uh, people can, you know, look look to one side of their 
uh, you know, right or left too much is, is lying or um, different little ticks of rubbing their hands together too often when they're talking. Um, MUFON teachers do this kind of stuff to pay attention to. And even when you're talking to someone over the phone, if they repeat themselves too many times, um, it's, it's a basic psychology. We have to because there's too many people that do do hoaxes in this field and it gets out of hand that we have to be able to, we have to be able to catch that right away uh, because we, we can't waste our time looking into stuff uh, people trying to hoax us when there's real, real good information out there that we want to be looking at and helping. Um, so yeah, we get them. I've, I mean, there's probably been two cases where I was absolutely sure that there were some kind of uh, hoax. Um, and yeah, the person, I, I mean, I've talked to people over the phone through email and these two people as well, the email and phone. Um, and usually when they're giving too much information, um, both of these, these instances, um, both were uh, identified objects or man-made objects. One was a uh, light tower, um, and I found this out because I, I was there. I see, I, I'm familiar with that area. I know what it was, um, and they didn't. They and usually they don't fight back either. When you kind of give them the the end result, they're like, "Hey, this is what happened." Da 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 da. They because they know that it, you know they didn't get you. Um, but usually when they're giving us way too much information, they're repeating themselves too much. Um, they're saying, oh, well, did you see this? Did you see that? And then they keep changing their story. So what I usually do when I'm doing a case is I'll talk to you on this date and then I'll, I'll, I'll catch back up with you a couple of days later and then I'll catch up with you a week later and I'll try to have you retell your story. And I look for little things that change and little things that, you know, go off of the course that you were originally on. And that's, that's, that's usually how I find out hoaxes and people that are lying. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the important thing that you... Because there's got to be a process to figure that out, because there are some people Absolutely. out there who just... I, I mean, we get serial hoaxers, I mean, to the point where that there's points where you get people and they're reporting stuff every other day, and I mean, they're just... And they're telling us that they ha- they're having UFO sightings every single day, every hour of the day, and I, I mean, we've had people tell us this, and it's like... Well, we can't, we can't take that much information where you're constantly giving us cases every day. And, and, and usually that's not true anyway. UFOs usually don't show themselves every day, every single hour of the day. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So let's, let's get to the big elephant in the room. Maybe. I don't know. All right. Uh, UFO disclosure. Will our, will our government ever do it? Well, they kind of already have in a way. Um, it all started with Marco Rubio in January of this year. Uh, he is, uh, in the intelligence field, in the intelligence committee. Um, and he found out about the UFO phenomenon and Donald Trump, before he left office, he originally signed some, a bill stating that, you know, um, to disclose the UFO information to the intelligence committee and our senators and people of the, you know, working with the government. Well, Marco Rubio made it so that the people and the public would get a public version of that, which is what the June 25th preliminary assessment was that we all received about UFOs. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that or some of your listeners are. It came out on June 25th. It was a nine-page report. Um, basically, um, everybody that was in the UFO field already knew all this information. This, 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 this report was basically confirmation saying that these things are real. It did say this actually. It stated that UAPs and UFOs are real. We don't know where they're coming from. We don't know what they are. Um, out of 144 reports that the government investigated, they were only able to identify one of them. So there's 143 out of 144 are still unsolved, and that's from 2004 to present day. Um, they also stated that they have um, multiple different um, multiple different ways of having evidence to confirm this. Uh, military personnel witnesses, fighter pilots, uh, gun cameras, regular radar. Uh, there was there was a whole list of them. Uh, it was crazy. Um, and then soon after that report came out, the Pentagon stated that these UFOs are not China, they're not Russia, and they're none of our adversaries or allies. So, you know, it, they're basically telling us this is real. Um, they haven't given us a smoking gun saying, hey, here's a UFO, we have them, blah, blah, blah. But they're telling us that these things are real now. So in a way, they kind of already disclosed that this is a real phenomenon and it's happening. And I, I think we're going to continue to get things slowly, and by the time they do give us something, we'll be like, yeah, 
Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that was a preliminary assessment and, and preliminary means first of many. So we're definitely going to get more, you know? Well, I think, I think part of this is we got the space force now too. Yeah. Uh, you can yeah. give me all the arguments you want about all this other stuff, but there's something to be said for that. Absolutely. There's a reason, there's, there's a reason behind all of that. The government doesn't just do things just to do things. <laughs> Well, anyways, don't get me in trouble. Well, uh, I, I know what you mean, but that, that kind of military stuff like that. Oh, boy. Um, have you ever experienced a UFO sighting yourself? Uh, yeah, that's that's where this whole Project Bat Tech 404 came from. Oh, that's um, right. Was that the only one? I had another one, but it was real small. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, what a Roman candle is. Yeah. Um, they shoot them balls of uh, fireworks out every so often. Um, well, I live by a park. People fly drones. They fly kites. We're uh, probably within 10 miles of the Philadelphia International Airport. It's not that far, so we see planes all the time. I was in the military. I was familiar with the basic uh, uh, aircraft that was used at that base, F-16s, F-18s. Um, and C forty six cargo plane from the ones that I've seen during that time. There's a couple others too, but uh, so I'm pretty familiar with uh, you know aircraft, natural phenomenon. Mufons train me pretty well, but I looked down to the park at the end of my street, and when I was looking, um, I seen what looked like I thought at first was a Roman candle. But now when you shoot a Roman candle, it kind of you know it it, it 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 falls down to the ground. You know it'll shoot out and then start going down towards the ground. Well, these did not do that. These shot directly straight forward, and then another one shot behind it, and when that second one hit the first one, they both disappeared. It was really weird, really odd. That was it. That, you know what I mean? So I really don't talk about that one too much, but the second one was the good one where I was driving in the car with my dad, and we live in the city of Philadelphia, um, and he actually pointed out a formation of objects flying in the sky. Now, these objects were gold, and, uh, maybe a little orangish, um, it was bright middle of the day, so they were pretty, the color was easy to determine, and they were flying in a formation, uh, you know, jets would not normally fly in, and at the spacing they were in, um, there was no exhaust coming from them whatsoever, and that's when I went to grab my phone, which was only two weeks old at the time, it was brand new, my phone would not unlock, I mean, it's never done what it did that day to this day still, um, that was the only time it ever did it. I couldn't put my code in to unlock the phone. When I tried, the, the phone completely froze. And then the crazy thing about these objects, when they started to disappear, they didn't fly off really fast and then just be gone. These things disappeared in the thin air. Um, and when the last two were there, my phone turned on. I was able to get one as it was starting to disappear and the other one that was at the end. Um, so I do have a photo of that. Um, did I keep just to confirm that I did see something, you know, I'm not going crazy, but, um, that was the two sightings that I personally had myself. Yeah. And it's a good thing to have those around because sometimes you do think you're going, well, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, I just like, cause sometimes I'll be like, did I really see something gold and orange? And I pull the picture up and there it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I know what I've seen. And I've, and, you know, I've talked to, I asked my dad what he thought about it. And he says, you know, his entire life, he's never seen something like that. So, um, you know, and he's 60 something years old, you know, um, and, uh, and I'm pretty familiar with everything that's in the skies. Um, so we both never seen nothing that looked like that before. <laughs> so, so I asked you about really bad cases. Now, there are some that, like you explained with the phone tower, how many of those come out with a normal, quote-unquote, phone t or, yeah, phone tower or airplane or satellite or, you know, the quote-unquote conventional normal things? So uh, we, we, a statistic is 95% of what gets reported to MUFON or any other UFO reporting sites, 95% of it can be explained whether it's natural phenomenon or a man-made object. And it's that 5 to maybe 6% that is the good stuff that we actually want. Um, so that's, that's, that's actually like a very, very good ratio of what, what it is um, and what we find. So it's very rare when we get the good cases, but we do get them. Um, but the majority of things that people report, I would say 9 out of 10 that gets reported – you know, 
is uh, explainable. So, well, I mean, that's it's good on one hand that we're able to explain. Of course, it's probably a bit frustrating that you aren't getting more of the good ones, but <laughs> right. that's such as life, I think. <laughs> yeah, we get that, man. Sometimes we were able to identify what an object is, and the witness gets kind of upset. But um, I try to be as nice as possible and explain exactly what it was. And usually, as long as you kill them with kindness and you let them know that you did the full research and walk them down the line, they're pretty open about it at the end, and, and everything works out good. So... Help me out here. Now, this is this is this is where it gets tricky because this is like a gang war. Well, maybe not for you, but some people it is. Talk to me about the other UFO. Well, I guess they're not a UFO organization anymore. The uh, two the stars people. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't. Uh, I mean, when they came out, I mean, the only the, the only really good thing that they did was when Lou Elizondo joined them, Chris Mellon, uh, you know, all the other guys, and they kind of put out those three videos. The the Go Fast, um, the Gimbal, and the Tic Tac. They put those videos out. Um, and that was probably the biggest thing that they did and being able to put that group together to, to get it out to where it needed to be, um, getting the public to pay attention to these videos and getting the publicity on different TV shows about these three videos. Um, that's the biggest accomplishment I feel that came out of To The Stars Academy. Um, and, and, since Lou and Chris Mell left that organization, and it's only Tom DeLong that's left, um, really they're only a an advertisement company where they're trying to bring attention to the subject. Um, and there's really not too many people left. A lot of people put stock into the TSA, TSSA, um, and they're not getting return out of it. They're pretty upset with it. Um, so I'm I'm disappointed with how they're running it now and how they allowed it to get to this point. So they're really not on my um, <laughs> the greatest yeah. radar yeah. on my. As I said, I'm sure there's going to be a documentary about that at some point. How that all kind <laughs> oh, of went. Yeah. How that kind of all went. I'll say south. I don't know. Maybe it went north. I don't. I mean, there's got to be some good stories there about yeah. the back behind the scenes stuff. Let alone the stuff they did that we kind of know. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. And he's back out touring right now when he said his main priority was to TSA. <laughs> so it's like, where are your priorities at, man? <laughs> well, you know, if you don't, if you're out on the road, you don't have to face the music. Well, face the music probably isn't the best explanation for that. But that's the only, yeah. <laughs> that's the only turn of phrase <laughs> I can come up with at this point. We were saying that where he's running out of money and he needs money to pay for it. <laughs> oh, well, money's like water. You can spend that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, you've been around the UFO community for a while. Now, this is kind of one of these cheesy questions, but I think it leads us to some other ones, so I'll, I'll start here. Um, dream UFO vacation. Dream UFO vacation? Yeah, if you could go, and you know, UFO, I mean, obviously, because I'm sure your real vacation dream and your UFO dream would probably be two different things. Because you're, yeah, I mean, you're probably I not, not packing the kids place. up and going to Roswell. Right, right, right. <laughs> I, <hear you. laughs> um, I, I mean, I definitely want to go to space. That's that's definitely for sure. If I had that opportunity to go on um, Jeff Bezos or Virgin Galactic and go to space, I would have did it in a heartbeat. Um, if I had a chance to, you know, go up to Mars and, and join that colonization on Mars, I probably would. Uh, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and once-in-a-lifetime thing to, to be able to do that and experience that. Uh, so I don't think I would turn it down. That's definitely what, where I'd be. Um, so yeah, if I had the opportunity to go to Mars and check it and walk out on the red planet, I definitely would. That'd probably be where I'd want to go. But, but you're willing to go to Mars. Uh, see, you're, you're much more of a man than me at this point. Cause I love indoor plumbing too much. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there for the record for everybody out there. Let alone any of the other problems that you don't run to on Mars. I mean, who knows, but. So you're willing to go with that route? Yeah, I mean, if if I can definitely confirm that I'm able to come home, you know, but yeah. if I'm going to be stuck there and then going to be told that there's a possibility you're going to run out of food too, then I'm probably not going to do it. <laughs> How about a happy medium? Would send you to the moon? Send me to the moon? Yeah. And then I get to come home? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems get... much more likely to come home from the moon, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's probably a better idea then, right? Yeah. The dark side of the moon, of course. 
somewhere a Pink Floyd fan's poking her eye out right now. Anyways. Yeah. Um, that's okay. They're allowed to. I'm surprised they're up this late. Oh, God. <laughs> Did I just say that out loud? Um, okay, so now let's, let's peel it back a layer, though. Is it... Now, see, I, I've, I wasn't going to storm Area 51. I keep saying this on the show, and hopefully someday I get the, you know, the invite and go the correct channel, right? To Area 51. Right. But is there anywhere else on your list of places that you'd like to go? Absolutely. Um, I don't... I mean, I've just talked to, recently on my podcast, Tom Carey and Don Schmidt, uh, the two... I mean, they were the two top five people that investigated Roswell from... You know, and uh, talk to the people that were down there. They interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people that were involved with this. Um, they collected materials that were found at the crash site down at Roswell. Um, and the main place that, that they believe a lot of this, well, we know there's a paper trail, um, Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Um, there, that, that, that entire base is, I mean, a majority of that base is underground. It's huge. There's a big underground facility under there. Um, a lot of the materials from Roswell went to Wright-Patterson. Uh, so we believe that that's actually, they, they, we call that the real Area 51 um, because we believe that's where everything's at. I think Area 51, the real one, is a little more of a, we'll make you think everything's here, but what they really do there is just make super high-tech aircraft that they're not showing to us yet. So I really think that if I had to choose to go somewhere and check it all out, it would be Wright Patterson for sure. See, I've always wondered because, you know, Area 51 has the armed security and they'll follow you and all this other stuff, right? If right. you get too far. But you can drive by Fort Knox where all the money's supposed to be. Right. right. I mean, but see, that's the thing. They hide it right, right, right where you, you know, where yeah. you, you know. Yeah, that's like. <laughs> hide it in the open. So, something doesn't make sense here. I mean. Either way, I'm, I'm sure I'm not getting too far if I try to breach the fence on either place. Right. <laughs> Plus, you got to get underground where the good stuff is anyway, you know. You can breach the up, the, uh, the, the base that's up top on the top side, but you're not going to find nothing until you go maybe three, four, or five levels down underground. <laughs> Do you think Roswell is the most documented military-wise case that we know about? Like, um, I'm sure some of this, uh, all the other stuff probably hits a shredder or, or never got wrote. I mean, I guess you would have to say that Roswell would, would be the most documented between that and the Phoenix Lights, um, Kecksburg. So, yeah, I guess you would have to say, yeah, Roswell would probably be the, the most documented. You know, it's been investigated the most out of every one of them. So, yeah. Interesting one across the board yeah because there yeah. was the millions of people that reported that one yeah and then how many videos there were the military got involved with that too they tried to say that they were there was a, a squadron out there and they were testing flares and that's what everybody's seen but anybody that's ever dealt with flares knows flares don't work that way and that you'll see a streak of smoke coming from them and they go down towards the ground and not stay up <laughs> so. here's a fun one for you their UFO person or U.S. military personnel testing flares. Well, Phoenix still exists. <laughs> yeah, you you can do this tomorrow night and prove that you were testing flares. Yeah. Just say. <laughs> the time they said they tested the flares anyway didn't even add up because they were an hour late. So, <laughs> well, you know, daylight savings time it all kind of gets. Uh... Yeah. Right. Because aren't isn't there parts of Arizona that doesn't change? You know, it's it's confusing. We should get uh, yeah, we should get rid of that anyways. But that's a whole other. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So how about Kecksburg? Germantown Runner Point set up there, and I, I told I you know I'm from Pennsylvania. I've never been there. That's probably why it, it doesn't dawn on me. So what do you what do you think? I like the. I thought it was very well documented. Um, it's one of the cases that I got I wrote about in my published paper for the MUFON Journal. Um. I wrote about the Fort Dix encounter, um, uh, another uh, civilian encounter, and the Kecksburg encounter. Um, Kecksburg was pretty well documented, and when it first happened, a lot of civilians that lived in the neighborhood, um, you know, they seen that thing. They seen the light in the woods. Uh, one one guy, a reporter, he tried to get really close in there. He said he seen a physical object that was in there. The military came rolling in. They they, you know, crossed it all off. They had loading bed trucks come in 
they loaded something onto the truck, covered it up, and then hauled it out of there and told people that they it was just a you know a satellite or, or a Russian something or another weather balloon or you know so. Then they were saying it was a, a Russian satellite that crashed, and they were using it for intelligence purposes, and they didn't want the Russians to know. I mean, there's stories upon stories upon stories. Um, but something definitely did crash there. There's, there's, I mean, the military doesn't just show up for no reason. Um, and it was documented by reporters and by the people, and, I mean, it was investigated by people from MUFON. People from MUFON, Pennsylvania, went up there and investigated again and questioned everybody and, there's a lot of documents on it and uh, FOIA requests that have been done, Freedom of Information Acts. Um, so there's definitely a lot of good information on it. So a uh, general observation in my chat room points out to me that none of Arizona follows daylight savings time. <laughs> Real-time fact-checking here. That's what we do. Um, it's really helpful because sometimes I'll forget something totally ridiculous. Absolutely. And I'll pop it up and, and I'll feel like an idiot even more. So... The beauties and the, the drawbacks are looking like an idiot at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this is a random one just for you, though, because I'm curious now. Because I, I just looked at my notes again just to make, cause I was making sure I checked all the boxes of things that I wanted to talk to you about. And what was your Eagle Scout project? Oh, um, so my troop wanted everybody to keep participating to the church that we were at. And to always do something for the church. And I was just sick of that because we had done so many projects for the church. And I was more of the, let's do something for the planet and the animals and stuff like that. So we went to, I, my campground was at Penn, Penn Warner owned my campground, which is, uh, the recycling company. Um, and, uh, they, they have a big campground with the recycling facility there and they had bats there. Um, that needed homes. And uh, so I went and I raised the money and I uh, sold flowers and I sold baked goods, uh, raised all the money up. We built bat boxes for the bats to live in, actual bat boxes that they're able to climb up into live. Uh, they're pretty big. We, we did like six of them. Um, went out back. We took a whole day, day, a couple days, built, built all the boxes, painted them, went to Penn Warner. And then we had the guys from Penn Warner come in their trucks and, let me take the boxes up there and, and install them into the trees so the bats can use them. And that was it. It was uh, pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And they're still there to this day. And that was, I mean, I think when did I, it was in 08 or 09 and I got my Eagle and we were there the beginning of this year and they're still there. So it's pretty neat. That's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And they're built really like, they're like really long and a really little small slip for the bat to get in. And inside there, there's little lines that run across for the bats to be able to climb on and be able to hang from. So they're really built specifically for these bats. Um, and what the problem was is that they were, had no places to live. And because of that, they were dying off. So that's why we went and built those specific bat houses for them. That's, you know, this is randomness here. I remember watching, I think it was Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe, and he went into this cave with millions of bats. I don't have any idea what was wrong with that, but it was just, there's your stomach, because, yeah, you know, aren't the cleanest places. I was going to say, bat caves aren't the cleanest, and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, okay, Germantown Runner, you post, you posted, and I'm going to ask it. It's a wild, it's a wild question for him, which is saying, saying something here, but we're going to go with it. Could have the Kecksburg incident been rumored to be a Nazi time-traveling bell? Germans you know, were looking to evolve that, that late in the war. So, okay, go ahead. Right, yeah, people have said that before because, you know, they did, you know, there was a secret project in Nazi Germany where they were building some kind of bell secret weapon. <clears throat> and um, so people have said that before because the acorn, they even have a, you know, a model of the acorn-shaped object that's in Kecksburg that you can see and go visit. Um, and it does, it kind of resembles a bell. Um, and the only people that were working on some kind of secret weapon like a bell was Germany. Um, so there's thoughts that maybe, you know, they, they tried to use it or someone was trying to test it and it fell there. Um, it's definitely po a possibility. Um, cause I definitely don't know if it was a UFO for sure. I know some object fell there, but I don't know what it was. Um, so yeah, I, it, it definitely could be. That's an interesting thought. Recently, um, early UFO encounters and um, 
a lot of them were describing people that were coming back in time and uh, visiting us. So it's definitely not that, I mean, it's not that far out there from a lot of other people's, um, you know, way they think about it and the way they thought people coming back in time. So it's a possibility. So this, this question, she left, she left early. She had some family obligations, but I know she'll, she'd want me to ask you. And if, if it being this close to Halloween, I've got to ask you any other paranormal experiences of the ghosts or Bigfoot or any of the other, the fun stuff that we look around and talk about around here. Yeah. I mean, I've had stuff happen in my house before. Um, figures walking around, uh, my cat seeing stuff walking around, but I can't see nothing. Um, you know, when you're sleeping, you get your toes tugged on, um, because we've had quite a few people pass away in this this house, so um, it, I, you know I'm, I'm a believer of everything. I stay open to it all. Um, I haven't really investigated the paranormal in, in any type of way. Um, I'm just full fledged UFO, but I do know that there's a possibility for that as well. Um, so I'll always keep an open mind about it. But yeah, I've had little stuff happen. I'll have my cat in my room with me all the time, and she'll. All of a sudden, she'll just start staring at something, and, and, and as if somebody's walking right by us, she'll watch them walk right by us, and then when it's gone, she'll go back to doing what she does, and it happens all the time. Um, so yeah, that's <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> that's good though. I mean, interesting, and I'm sure. Uh, well, between the the rating, the uh, the four of four project, and the uh, the podcast, and the um, as as I'm doing this, my hands just keep growing, and you've, you're you're killing a lot of time. Not killing, but you know, it's filling a lot of time. I guess is a better way to say it. You're bu- you're busy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Um, I the main thing that keeps my time now the the, the podcast is pretty well rounded. I have people scheduled ahead of time, so I really don't have to worry about that. And um, just got to do the interviews, and they're pretty much all people I've dealt with before. But Project Bat Tech 404, the website's finally up, so you can go over there and search with that. Really, we're just researching cases and getting cases out of people are reporting. We're documenting them cases. So that's what I've been really busy with, the project. Um, I'm the director of the project. I have three other team members under me that I assign cases to. So between assigning the cases, checking the cases, doing cases on my own, plus investigating for MUFON, and then doing the website and the podcast on top of that. And I'm a volunteer. <laughs> I do all this for free. So it's not like I'm getting paid for it. I'm just passionate about this subject. This is why I do what I do, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's cool. Though. Okay. So question for my, for you, of course, but a question for the people in the chat room, because I love doing these multifaceted questions because what else can you do when they're hanging out and having fun with you? Um, Favorite Halloween costume you had as a kid? I was Michael Myers all the time when I was a kid. I always, uh, always sat outside, <clears throat> set up a scenery, and I would act like I was a stuffed, uh, a stuffed scarecrow, but wearing Michael Myers stuff. And uh, I would stay very still until someone walked up, walked behind, walked by me, and then I would get up and and scare. You know, they, I mean, people would go screaming down the street. Um, we still have kids every year that come up to the door and ask, you know, are you guys going to be scaring us this year? Um, the kids loved it. I mean, some of the kids that were three, four years old, um, they come back now and they're like 10, 12 years old with their little brother and they're saying, are you going to be out this year? You used to scare me all the time when I was little. And we've actually had parents stop by and ask if we're going to be doing it so they can bring their kids by. So it, it was pretty neat. So the answer is yes, you're going to be doing it? Uh, yeah, but I think this year I'm going to be the, I have a really cool killer clown outfit. Uh, so we're probably going to do that one this uh, year. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I do it for the kids, man. They love it. Oh, I'm sure. It's great. Especially when they come back and you see how much they've grown up. And then if you hear that their parents are coming and asking about it, it's, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. So worst Halloween trick or treat item to give somebody oh it, money or pennies pennies you know, they used to I, get pennies out back in the day the I was gonna, yeah i was gonna say pennies or toothbrushes i've had that and also really? and carrots yeah i was gonna say somebody carrots or apples or some random piece of garbage i mean yep. fruit no for vegetables <laughs> <laughs> yeah the pennies were the worst i hated pennies man 
I still don't like change to this day. I think it's it's a pain. But well, especially pennies. Uh, oh man. Yeah. I can't I can't stand them. I mean I understand then, being cheap. This but... one house would always give out these little mini packets of carrots. And they're the little tiny ones that you would get at school lunch, you know, or something <laughs> like that back in the day. I was like, Are you kidding me, man? You couldn't buy some chocolate. Crazy. Yeah, I mean I remember being a kid and there used to be this uh I want to say haunted house, but you know, the person was young. Yeah, that's the good way to say that. Young old person, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep, and they'd bring you, they'd write you in, and they'd have like, um, like a punch, which was you know had a, a head float, you know, like you're drinking oh, some yeah, kind yeah, of brain yeah. juice. Yep. You'd go around, and you know, and then you'd leave with a little, a fun sized candy bar. But you, you know, you got a drink, and you know, well, I guess there was some, like pretzels and chips on the one room. Like by the time you got done, it was okay that you got you know a little thing. You got a little experience, and it was kind of cool. Right. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if that'd be a. A fun thing today, going inside some stranger's house. But yeah, I mean, I, I we, we used to have a lady on my block that used to do it all the time. I mean, she used to set it up in her, her living room. We all set up in her dining room. You'd walk in, and she had the hand with the, uh, the bowl with the little hand in it that would grab you when you take candy out. And she was really nice, but she only let certain kids that she knew come in the house. You know what I mean? But today, you can't do nothing like that around here, especially in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. Count Dracula, Franklin Berry, or Boo Berry breakfast cereal? Ooh, I like, uh, man. Repeat them again. <laughs> Got Count Dracula, Franklin Berry, and Blue Boo Berry. There we go. Sorry. Yeah, I think the Count Dracula chocolate ones. And on a normal day, what, what, what's, what's your breakfast of choice? Now we're just kind of breaking that down. Breakfast of choice? Yeah. Jimmy Dean, anything Jimmy Dean. I, I, I'm sure you're like me. Breakfast most days is nothing, right? So if you do have to have breakfast, you want to have something good. Yeah, I usually I'm, I'm usually like a brunch guy. I usually eat about brunch time, and you know something quick I can throw in. Dinner time, cook, but but lunchtime, throw something in the microwave real quick, or throw something together in a bowl, and you know that's good enough. So, what's coming up on the podcast? So this tomorrow, the uh, I, I come out. I do episodes every Wednesday. Um, tomorrow will be Dr. Irina Scott. She just actually came out with her newly released book on the uh, Calvin Parker case. Um, she's done all new investigation with Cal. She's been working really close with Calvin Parker. Um, all new information that's never been released before in this book, and we're going to talk about it tomorrow. Um, uh, she was nice enough to send me a free Audible book of it, so I have it for free. I've been listening to it. Um, pretty cool stuff there. Um, the week after that, I have Trey Hudson, who's another author, and he's also a MUFON director. And then at the end of the month, I have Peter Robbins, who's been at the National Press Club conferences. He's got his own show over on KGRA, Digital Broadcasting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we got some good shows coming up, some good guests. Uh, we just recently had Philip Mantle and Cheryl Costa, Don Schmidt, Tom Carey, a uh, bunch of people. Well, so Jesse, it's been going good. I appreciate your time this evening, and good luck with all the projects and all the investigating and all the podcasting and all the everything else. No problem, man. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And we'll catch up soon. All right. Sounds good, Jim. There we go. Maybe. So, everybody, I hope everybody has a good time this Halloween. Hope something doesn't spook you too bad. Um, you know, it's paranormal season, so let's enjoy it. Like I said earlier, maybe I said it earlier. Did I say this earlier? If I did say this earlier, you need to know this. Predictions next week, right? 2022. Wow, here we go. Let's do it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mail Report. Stay tuned for details on saving money at the Duck Pond Shop. I hope you enjoyed this report. Please subscribe so that you can join us again. And if you appreciate the show, leave us some stars or a review. For more notes from this show or other great shows, check out Mallard.com. A reminder, the views and opinions of this show are those of the host and guest and do not represent any sponsors, affiliates, or any other partners of The Mallard Report. Now for your money-saving tip. Promo code Mallard at checkout of duckpondshop.com 
where you can get your t-shirt, coffee mug, and other great products. That's promo code Mallard at checkout, duckpawnshop.com. Until next week, stay safe and keep whacking. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.